Hello, and welcome back to Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion. This week, we welcome Dr. Stella Kafka back to the show. She is CEO of the American Association of Variable Star Observers, and she's on. She's going to teach us all about Beetlejuice. We're also going to take a look at the night sky as Venus, Mars, and the moon huddled close together. Then we venture out to Enceladus, one of the mighty moons of Saturn, examining its geysers for signs of life. Finally, we journey back to ancient Earth, learning about massive impacts on its young surface. In the early evening of Monday, 12th of July, the Moon, Mars, and Venus all huddled close together in the sky. This conjunction of planets brought Mars and Venus close together, with the Moon just a few degrees away from the pair, delighting amateur astronomers worldwide. The next such conjunction comes on the 19th of August, when Mars and Mercury will move to within just one fifteenth of a degree of each other, low on the horizon just as the sun is setting. Methane on Enceladus may be the product of alien life, a new study finds. In 2015, the Cassini spacecraft passed through a watery plume erupting from Enceladus, one of the large moons of Saturn. By examining what processes may have resulted in the chemical makeup observed during this pass, computer models showed that life in the oceans of Enceladus might explain the results as could unknown geological processes not seen on our own world. The Earth may have been pelted by vast numbers of city-sized asteroids billions of years ago, a new study finds. Although geologists know that early Earth suffered a long period of heavy bombardment, the rate impacts was 10 times greater than previously believed, the study finds. Now, examination of small glass spheres thrown up during these impacts shows evidence for massive impacts every 15 million years on average, which would have greatly altered the climate of our young planet. Looking deep into the universe, we see backwards in time. And the oldest light in the universe holds secrets to how everything around us will, one day, end. Meanwhile, stars, planets, and galaxies dance in an intricate ballet, occasionally giving birth to life. We are fledgling species, just beginning to visit other worlds. We are a way for the universe to understand itself. The Cosmic Companion strives to bring the universe down to Earth and we depend on your help to make it happen. For information on subscriptions and ways to donate to this program, please visit thecosmiccompanion.net. Thank you. Next up, we welcome Dr. Stella Kafka back to the show. She is CEO of the American Association of Variable Star Observers, 
and she's here to tell us all about everyone's favorite red giant star, Beetlejuice. This week on Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, we're happy to welcome Dr. Stella Kafka back to the show. She is the CEO and the Executive Director of the American Association of Variable Star Observers, and she's here to talk about everybody's favorite super red giant, Beetlejuice. Welcome back to the show, Stella. Thanks for having me, James. It's a pleasure. Thanks. So, you are... You, you are the, probably the most excited person I know about Beetlejuice. What is it that gets what gets you so excited about that star? You know, it's a star that we witness every day for a good chunk of the year, even from a big city. Uh, everybody knows how to identify Orion, the big constellation. And it's a star that is part of our everyday life. Uh, and just looking at it, we don't think that much is happening with it. And it's a star that people have been observing for more than a hundred years right now for its variability. So we think that we know how its brightness is changing with time. And suddenly in 2019, um, we learned our lesson that even the stars that we think we understand might actually exhibit something new. They may surprise us. They may change their, their uh, behavior. So back in 2019, Betelgeuse went from the sixth brightest star um, in the night sky to become the 21st brightest star to the night sky to the point where you know you were looking at the constellation the constellation had changed mm, the, right. the way that you see this familiar pattern changed because one of the brightest stars didn't so much so that is why i'm very excited it's it's a new um, it's a new experience on an old and very well-known star uh, something that really helps us learn something new about processes, not only in this star, but its siblings. Um, and, you know, when things are different, um, when, when the stars do something different in astrophysics, it also uh, triggers our, um, our ability to think outside the box, right? Mm -hmm. So, and not right. only that, to try to explore and understand them with different means. As technology evolves, we have different kinds of instruments in our hands, different kinds of telescopes. And with that, when we uh, manage to get enough, enough photons on our instruments, we may actually weave a story about at least the recent behavior of those stars uh, that um, is much more elegant, much more beautiful than saying that, oh, it, something dimmed. We can, we can put in details in there. And within those details, we can uh, put it in the big picture of stellar evolution and try to make some assumptions of how they end. So that's why I really like it. It's pretty much um, filling the gaps in the scripts uh, of a story that had lots of gaps mm. for a star that is, is actually very familiar to all of us, all especially right. in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. It's amazing. And like I said, I mean, it really, to me, you know, as someone who has always loved the night sky, mm -hmm. you know, and I've been an amateur astronomer since I was a little kid, um, I felt different going out into the sky and seeing Betelgeuse not being, as I like to call it, big red. Right. You know? <laughs> right, right. And uh, so what what are we seeing? What, what is causing these wild fluctuations over these last 10 months or so? So we know that Betelgeuse, just a little bit of history on this kind of star, we know that Betelgeuse's atmosphere is not static. 
We know that in that particular stage of uh, stellar evolution, stars have very deep convective zones, meaning that material is actually looking, just moving um, inside its atmosphere, uh, like boiling water, right? Yeah. right? It's yeah. hot material, the very bottom goes up, cools down, keeps going down. Yeah. And those kind of uh, motions have certain periodicity. So it's not rare to see some variation in the, in the behavior of those stars. And actually, we do know that Betelgeuse has variations in two different timescales. Uh, one in the time scale of five or six years, and the other one about 450 days, 440 days, so a year and a half. And we can actually see them if we record the brightness change of uh, this type of star with time, we can see them reflected in that type of graph. This is what we call a light curve. So the AVSO, our organization, has been collecting data um, our observers have been collecting data for more than 120 years on Betelgeuse. So we, we have an idea of how these fluctuations in brightness look like. What happened in 2019, 2020 is that suddenly the stars started dimming and dimming more and dimming more and dimming even more to the point where, you know, the, the known pattern had changed. And this is where we started scratching our heads. Um, so this could not be could not have been explained just by convecting motions. Um, it would have to be something much more dramatic in the behavior of the star uh, that uh, would lead to this kind of dimming. And this is where we had to put our collective minds together, figure out what uh, we know about Betelgeuse and whether this kind of dimming could be uh, um, could be described with known theories and also put our instruments together and try to take uh, different ways of, uh, uh, try to observe Betelgeuse different goggles and, and try to, again, put together this kind of scenario. So um, a long story short, uh, the Earth's biggest telescopes and most complicated instruments, including the Hubble tel Space Telescope started taking data on Betelgeuse at different snapshots following along the AVSO observers' um, data here from the Earth. Um, and right now, we what we think is going on is that um, Betelgeuse, as a result of these big convective motions, um, ejected a big ball of gas towards one direction of it. Now, this ball of gas left its uh, atmosphere and lingered around the star for a little while until it started kind of moving, expanding and moving towards the interstellar medium. Now, we know that the environment of Betelgeuse is quite dusty. It consists of lots of cold dust, uh, which actually is expected when you have expanding gas that cools down, condenses and creates dust. So at some point, even that particular big blob of gas has moved around um, outside Betelgeuse, was ejected outside Betelgeuse. Um, it started cooling down and creating a little blanket, a little cover uh, of this, the starlight towards our line of sight. So in principle, this was um, this was a description, uh, th this was an event that was not necessarily rare for Betelgeuse, but it was rare in the sense that it happened towards our line of sight, so we could witness it. Uh, now, the uh, cool part of this, again, apart from the fact that it was not a global cloud, this is a, just a very directed sort of beam of, of dust, if you will, is that um, Betelgeuse went behind the sun at some point, right? So we could not see anything. And then when it recovered, when it became available again, uh, then we saw um, 
like the end of a similar, much more smaller in amplitude event, which could be, uh, you know, part of little blobs of gas and, and dust mm. still condensing and covering part of its light. I can be explained like that. So I think that the event is still ongoing. It's not something that dissolved. It was one off and dissolved. Um, and this is what pretty much we managed to observe. And this is the much more uh, recent theory about the interpretation of this particular event. Hmm. That's fascinating. You're listening to Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, a podcast focused on making science accessible to everyone, including weekly interviews with groundbreaking scientists. We depend on support from fans like you, helping us bring science news and education directly to listeners around the globe. Visit us at thecosmiccompanion.net forward slash support for information on subscriptions and other ways you can help support this program. Subscriptions start at just 99 cents a month. Show your love of astronomy and space exploration by visiting thecosmiccompanion.net forward slash support today. Hi there, this is James Maynard from The Cosmic Companion. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, our podcast is put out through Anchor FM. If you've ever wanted to have to your own podcast, they're a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, Anchor gives you a chance to uh, put get your podcast together with all the tools in one place. And uh, you can do it from your phone or a computer. And they're going to help you get distributed out to all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. And so, best of all, Anchor's all free. How cool, huh? Anyway, if you want to check it out, go download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Clear skies. And so the last supernova that we saw in the Milky Way occurred in the 17th century. Yeah. How, how like, you know, before the advent of modern telescopes and astronomical theories. So how likely are we to see a supernova event visible from Earth with the naked eye in our lifetimes? In our lifetimes, we want to believe that it's quite likely. So we do have a collaboration going on with a team called Snooze. Uh, that where um, our observers at the AVSO are monitoring about uh, 300, the 300 close stars to our planet. Uh, and the main idea for that is actually to understand their, um, their behavior long term, that's one. And second, um, SNOOZE is actually uh, a collaboration that uh, aims at detecting supernova eruptions at the very early stages when the supernova of this type is ejecting neutrinos. So the first thing that will come here on Earth is a blast of neutrinos coming from a certain direction of the star that uh, actually core collapsed and then we will see visible light. So the main idea of this particular collaboration is for um, after the first neutrino detection uh, an alert will go out to our observers so that we will actually point as many telescopes as possible to the direction of that neutrino beam to detect the first light from a core collapse supernova. So this is pretty much a um, what we call high risk, high reward event. Uh, this is an event that pretty much you don't really know when it's going to happen, right? Wow. We're targeting the likely candidates here. 
But if it happens, it's going to be an event once in our lifetime. It's going to be very unique and it's going to be really bright and really, really fun to observe. We'll be able to see it naked eye during daytime. It's going to be really cool. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be so amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, assuming we get to see it, I was actually, you know, this was really, Beetlejuice was, you know, really going through its dimming phases. I was on my honeymoon and, you know, or, and on New Year's Eve, I, you know, it was just hoping for that, you know, non-zero chance that Beetlejuice was going to explode in the ultimate, you know, New Year's Eve, you know, firework. <laughs> you know, we were hoping that too, but you know, the, the universe does not exactly work this way. You can hope, you can expect, you can do whatever you want. It's going to do things its own time scale. All we can do is be observers and uh, collect data and try to interpret them based on what nature tells us. That's yeah. all. Great. And yes, now um, one of the great things about your organization and about your work is that you do so much great stuff with amateur astronomers. Mm -hmm. So how can amateur astronomers and people who just love the sky help contribute to studying variable stars like Betelgeuse? You know something, um, the AVSO is providing training, help, uh, education material opportunities for anyone to be engaged in this kind of uh, um, of uh, uh, work. Uh, as long as you want to get started, we can help you go from oh, I just have a pair of binoculars. What am I going to do with them? To all the way I'm observing Beetlejuice every second night. Uh, and you know, some the, the fun thing is that um, the the AVSO observers are very uniquely positioned to observe this type of stars because big telescopes cannot cannot observe Betelgeuse. By the time they open their their image shutters, they saturate. Betelgeuse is too bright for big telescopes, and no one's going to give you the amount of time to keep monitoring it nonstop for decades. So if anyone. Uh, in your audience, if anybody wants to really join us in this particular quest of trying to understand some of the bright stars in the universe, some of the crazy ones in the universe, you just have to um, to email us, avso at avso.org, and we, we can help you get started. Um, you really don't need expensive equipment if you have a pair of binoculars. If you have dark skies, it would be the best thing. But Beetlejuice, for example, is something that you can see from uh, from um, a little bit outside the city. Actually, you can see it from the middle of a city, but that's not the best observing conditions. So if you live in the suburbs, you can definitely do this kind of work. That's great. And so what's what's the next step in exploring Betelgeuse? What do we want to learn about it? Everything. All we're doing right now <laughs> is taking snapshots. We want to understand the mechanism of this convective Cells. We want to understand the mechanism of this uh, mass ejection. You want, we want to understand the frequency of these events. We want to understand how this fits with the evolution of, of Betelgeuse. So what's next is more data. And not only of Betelgeuse, but also of some of its siblings. Antares, for example, it's a very good candidate for, more, for a, a similar kind of star, which we start observing. So what we need is more observers. So please join us. Come, come join the party. It's really, really fun to observe a star that everybody thinks they know everything about but always surprises us it's really fun it is really fun <laughs> well thank you so much for being on the show again stella it was great talking with you it's a pleasure james oh, oh, anytime. A, anytime 
Um, and that was Dr. Stella Kafka. She is CEO and Executive Director of the American Association of Variable Star Observers. Next week, we talk to New York Times bestselling author Earl Swift, who just released a new book, Across the Airless Wilds, the first major history of NASA's lunar buggy. Make sure to join us then. And visit us each week on Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion as we bring space and astronomy news together with groundbreaking scientists directly to listeners and viewers around the globe. Subscribers to our VIP newsletter see every episode of the show a day before the general public. Now, we depend on support from viewers just like you. For ways to help support this program, including VIP subscriptions, please visit thecosmiccompanion.net forward slash support. Please, stay safe, stay healthy, and keep your wonder alive. If you enjoyed this episode of Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, please check out every episode of the show at thecosmiccompanion.tv. Also, please download and share the episode on YouTube, Facebook video, or really any major podcast provider. Uh, For more details on space and astronomy news, please visit thecosmiccompanion.com or thecosmiccompanion.net. 